live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What's happening, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's a co-host. His name is Padawan J. Hello, hello, hello. And folks, we have a special treat for you because a friend of the show has made a triumphant return And you know when he comes on the show, that means there's a brand new comic book you need in your collection. And you are tuned in the right place because obviously this is the entertainment edition of the ODPH where we talk movies, TV, comics, and more. And find out more information at odphpodcast.com. Because for this opening segment, I don't want to waste any more time. You know this man's work from the legendary, I'm already saying legendary even though it's only been four issues out, of the independent smash known as Pocus Hocus. Now he's back talking Grandma Chainsaw. Yes, that's right, folks. Eat, slay, love. Done only by the team, helmed by our good friend, returning to the podcast, the one and only Alan Dunford. Alan, what's going on, fam? Hey, guys, I'm so happy to be back. Kent, did you take a breath at all during any of that? I didn't think you did. Okay. I've I've learned the breathing technique of doing this, but at least I didn't stutter because when I get super excited talking about things, I do usually botch the words. This does happen. I'm a little peek behind the curtain. But But obviously I held it together for this book because the book is absolutely fantastic. I've gotten a small preview of what is coming out on the Kickstarter, which just kicked off live today. And if you need links, obviously, in the liner notes of this podcast and on odphpodcast.com, we have a nice big link right there on the front page because that's how much faith we have in this book. So, Alan, Grandma Chainsaw, that is a wild name. Can you please break down what this book is all about? Uh, Yeah, so what's funny about this book is, well, one, the title is ridiculous. I I think we're we're just going to kind of stick with that with every book that we write. We're going to have Pocus Hocus, Grandma Chainsaw, just titles that are like, what do these people think? <laughs> think this is a good idea. Um, so, yeah, th- there's there's so much to unpack with Grandma Chainsaw, but really it's just our love letter uh, to slasher, horror, comedy-type things. Uh, so this is our take on uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Evil Dead, things of that nature, right? So ultimately, Grandma Chainsaw just follows four for young people who get lost as people do in these types of scenarios and they wind up on uh, grandma Hazel's doorstep and we just let the madness ensue from there. It's absolutely crazy to think that in this day and age, people are still, you know, winding up in these haunted areas, but yeah, here we are, but this has just such an organic vibe to it. I mean, obviously you touched upon some great horror movies that this is very influenced of. And now you're bringing the whole Pocus Hocus team over for this. How was everybody's ideas bouncing around when you decided to start pitching this? Um, so whenever I, I pitched the idea for it, this was, Grand, we're all comfortable working with each other. So I know these guys would tell me the truth. Uh, this was probably the fastest yes from everybody on the team whenever uh, we initially pitched this. So I, I everyone has been 
so gung ho with it. And you, like I said, you got the exclusive preview. It's a 28 page comic. Uh, you got to see the first 17 pages already done. Um, and these guys really brought their A game. They, they do with Pocus as well, but uh, they really want to switch up styles and just give a fresh perspective on it. We obviously want you to recognize that it is the same team, but at the same time recognize that we're also trying to do something different. Yeah, because you can definitely tell the vibe is so similar, but yet different with this, because obviously you're teaming back up with, with Will Radford. Brian Bolando is on the artwork. Jason Smith is on the coloring, and David Lentz is on the lettering. So obviously you got the whole team back. And they're definitely having the same kind of vibe to it because it has that cool indie feel that obviously doing a horror comic such as this, you really want to have because it just feels like the old same old, same old. It's not going to really connect. And obviously when you guys are going into this, that's what you're really kind of striving for, right? Right. Yeah. So and with a with a title like this, um, with a premise that is just so similar to what everyone is used to, right? Like... Um, with, with Pocus Hocus, uh, the story of someone selling their soul has been done a million times. Mm-hmm. It's just how you present it. With Grandma Chainsaw, slasher movies have been done a million times. So it's just how you present it. You're always going to be compared. You know what I mean? Uh, but I think it's whenever you can accept your influences and really put them out there uh, and not hide behind them. Like, we're fully aware that Texas Chainsaw Massacre was a huge influence for us our main character uh he has a 74 on his t-shirt because that's the year texas chainsaw master came out theater oh very cool like yes it's just little references like that and then even in the script when we were writing it we would put in parentheses brian this is a nightmare on elm street reference brian this is a exorcist 3 reference like stuff like that because we're just having so much fun with it and that's one thing you can definitely tell with this book is it's almost like a love letter to horror movies because it's not taking itself super seriously, which obviously most horror movies don't. I mean, there's a certain exception that do, but obviously this has got that real nostalgia feel to it. And especially trying to go capture the market that's out right now because, I mean, horror movies are really back in full pop culture swing. This is a perfect time to do this, and especially in comics, horror comics are really starting to pick up a lot of steam. So obviously when you're throwing your hat in the ring, so to speak, you definitely want to make some buzz. And obviously coming off the success of Pocus Hocus, you really have to say, okay, we've set this bar high. People know the brand. They know this creative team can really kick some ass. Now we really got to go completely off into a different direction. Did you really sit there and go, okay, we've done this, the formula works, but now, okay, we really got to go over the top or was it just kind of let the story breathe on its own? Um, Definitely let the story breathe because I I feel like, if you try to shoe in and force something, then it's going to feel forced. So that's kind of like what you said whenever you're reading it. Everything seemed like it flowed and felt natural. Um, when we went back and reread the script uh, before we, we sent it off to Brian, um, it was one of those like, okay, this is good. This is funny. Um, and we were like, this is atmospheric. We have different elements here. And we, we talked about some things that we thought would be wacky and crazy and some stuff that we are keeping on the back burner just in case, mm-hmm. but we're keeping it there just in case it fits. We, we never want to force anything in there. And that was something like what we did with Pocus. Uh, yeah, there, there's action in Pocus Hocus, but we don't want to overwhelm you with it. And we want to put it in the story when it's actually driving the story forward. So we, we really want it to still be character driven and atmospheric, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's one of those things where 
we we always pride ourselves on making sure we're telling a good fun story first and then everything will come naturally yeah i think there's a, a great way to go about it because if you try forcing it just to force it you can definitely tell like i mean if you read enough comic books or you read enough you know regular books to be honest or even go to enough movies you can definitely tell when stuff's telegraphed and that's one thing i don't think comes across here i think it just really captures the essence of those you know early 80s slasher movies that you know obviously you're sitting at home reading it's like when you're saying don't go in that room and you're screaming at the tv as you're watching like you kind of have that same vibe in certain panels that are in this comic yeah and again that that was something that we we really wanted to hone in and focus on because we love these movies for a reason, right? Like there's still a reason why these movies are still being made and these characters that we watch are all still making stupid decisions. It's because the audience, we love it, right? It, it sets up thrill, it sets up suspense. It, it's hard sometimes to go and watch a, uh, a silly slasher movie if all the characters were intelligent, they would just leave or stay together. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're still trying to have so much fun with that. And that's definitely what you want to do because obviously with the genre you're in, I mean, horror is very, you know, scary outright and it needs to be, but it definitely needs to have a little touch of humor into it when it really kind of connects to kind of offset things. And especially going into a brand new book, obviously the first book you guys did Pocus Hocus, which is obviously a, a smash hit. We talk about it all the time here on the ODPH. You really want to say, okay, we're coming back. We're hitting Kickstarter again. We really want to get the ground running. Were you really feeling any added pressure going into this with saying, okay, we're going back to Kickstarter. We've set the bar here for Pocus. We obviously exceeded it and then some with just the first day reactions. Now coming in here with Grandma Chainsaw, was there any really extra pressure or were you putting more pressure on yourself? Uh, always put more pressure on myself. Uh, and that's something that I, I'm trying to work on, but I don't think will ever happen. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, I, I'm my own worst critic. Uh, I just think as, as most people are. Um, and it, it's hard because we've only been doing this for a little over a year now. And that's kind of crazy to think about that. Pocus wow. Focus one was just mailed out a year ago. That, that's wild to me. Cause I mean, I just, it feels like, you know, Pocus has been around like for a few years now, to be honest. Yeah, dude. Yeah. So uh, it was June, the end of June of uh, 2021 was when Pocus Hocus campaigns one ended and we shipped it out in like July or August. Wow. So it's, it's crazy, right? Because it's been, it's only been 365 days and we have all this stuff now and I don't know how it happened. Um, I, I think my bank account knows how it happened, but I, as a person, I don't know how it happened. Um, but yeah, so with, with the pressure though, uh, of Kickstarter, Pocus Hocus 4 exceeded our expectation mm -hmm. and we, we weren't ready for it. Um, because we thought Pocus Hocus 4 wasn't going to do that well, not because we didn't believe in the project, but just because well, it's the fourth issue of the series. How many people are still going to keep coming back? Right. Mm. Because it, it, it's just how it is when you start releasing more and more movies. And it's one of those like, well, who are we that people want to keep coming back for? But the, the outpouring of support is absolutely incredible. And we're, we're hoping that people see the same value in the Pocus Hocus uh, series so far that they see in, in Grandma Chainsaw. 
Um, and right now, as of recording this, we have we went live at eight in the morning, so we've been live for ten hours. Uh, we are setting at eighty nine percent to goal. That's so, incredible. Uh, yeah, so we're we're definitely getting there. Uh, we're we're hoping for another strong day one fund, which would be rad. Um, but yeah, I mean it's it, it's always added pressure because it's how do we how do we innovate ourselves? How do we put fun silly things on there that, that people will want or how do we uh, position our covers and how do we make sure we're we're really giving the customer value because that's what we focus the the most on uh, as, as a team is not how many trinkets we can we can cram into a kickstarter but are we giving people what they feel like to be value and quality and bang for their buck well i think that's one thing that has come across after each issue that since i've been introduced to this franchise by our good friend Frank from the Geek Freaks podcast. He was obviously buzzing about this, and when I picked it up, I was like, okay, I see what the hype is, because horror comics are really not my go-to forte. I do read a lot of them now, which has kind of really spawned into a whole different subgenre of my collection now. You're, but You're welcome. Yeah, I know. Thank you. Yeah, I was going to say, you're, you're, you and Scott Snyder have to be the two people yeah. I have to thank for that, because now it's eating away at my bank account. But it's all right. It's, yeah. it's a labor of love, so I don't mind doing that. But to go into this and then obviously talking with fans on the internet and seeing their reactions, and I know I've made this no secret, the Pocus Hocus reviews we do on Parlay Points are some of the highest downloaded, viewed, and and feedback-wise, the numbers are through the roof. And it's just that much of a buzz around this franchise that obviously it's like it just keeps escalating and escalating. And for being less than a year or just over a year now, that's mind-blowing. Yeah, and every time you tell me these numbers, it just blows my mind to that much more. <laughs> yeah, no, like, and I mean, that's serious. I mean, uh, you're not the official number one anymore. I don't want to say which one on air, uh, but you, you were surpassed by one recent book. But, oh, that's, I mean, that's awesome, though. Yeah, right? but but no, that's that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, of course, everybody's checking out Parlay Points. I mean, that whole blog section is blowing up on Wednesdays. But, like I say, for when you're dropping books, though, the audience knows, and that's where I'm going at, because when you were just taking over the crown, I don't want to say the number on air, but, my God, I saw that, and I was like, holy smokes, like somebody even came close to you, because when you took out the one book you did, that was absolutely, like, holy shit, like, this is real, like, the Pocus Army is in full effect, and everybody came out and really supported this. And you can definitely tell, like, there's a buzz for your team whenever you guys are announcing a book. Like, and that's got to be just the most amazing feeling. Yeah, it is. Um, it, it lets us know that we're definitely doing something right, um, and it lets us know that we're on the right path. And it, it lights a fire in us that much more. Like. Um, taking a taking a step back from Pocus and doing Grandma Chainsaw has been awesome because uh, we've already uh, we wrote the the story beats for the next arc of Pocus Hocus and okay. uh, we've already started we've already started writing the script for issue five um, which will be issue two one realistically but you know what I mean. it's going to be the fifth <laughs> the fifth issue of Pocus Hocus um, so we we started writing the script for that and. The, the the plot that we started with or how we got to our certain destinations um, wasn't nearly the same as when we before we started writing Grandma Chainsaw. So it was good for us to take a step back mm. um, and then approach it because what we've come up with now is so much better than what we had before. So it's 
and that's another thing I'll say about Grandma Chainsaw or any to any creator that, that's listening. It's okay to take a step back yeah. from your projects for a little bit because uh, I didn't want to keep hammering in focus uh, for for me and Will and the rest of the team because I didn't want them to get bored with it. Um, and, and I never, again, quality. That's our number one, right? Mm. Uh, we want to make sure we're, we're delivering quality from a writing standpoint and quality from an art and lettering standpoint. Um, we want people to have fun with our book and to be like, oh, this doesn't, this looks like it's industry grade, right? This looks like it, it should be out there on shelves and everything. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, and, and again, taking a step back uh, really helped us see where we were messing up with the second arc of Pocus potentially and go back and fix stuff. So what we've come up with now, uh, you guys are going to absolutely love. And I, and I, I can't wait. <laughs> I just, no. There's just so much I want to talk about for the future of Grandma Chainsaw, Pocus Hocus, and some other titles that we're working on. Well, that kind of goes into a question Pad's got for you. Well, so yeah, you bring, you bring up uh, Hocus, uh, Pocus Hocus. Hocus, Hocus. Uh, I know, I mess that name up all the time, it's, too. It's easy to do. It's, it's okay. It's, it's my fault. It's my fault. <laughs> Especially with the sequel coming out here soon. It's, it's real easy to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Is the Grandma Chainsaw and Pocus Hocus a shared universe project, or are they are are they on their own separate things? See, we joked about that um, because realistically, from where they take place in different time periods, um, they could be. So I, we will never rule out any uh, Pocus Hocus references or anything like that going forward with Grandma Chainsaw. Because uh, we actually do make some nods here. And this is, it's funny that you mentioned this because there is a anthology that's coming out that we're working on. Oh, wow. Uh, we, we, we were able, we got commissioned by uh, Bad Bug for an anthology called uh, Roseblood Manor. And they're going to be launching, I think it's October the 11th. So we wrote a book in there and we, we throw in some Pocus Hocus Easter eggs okay. in, in our story too. So. Yeah, we like to kind of toy around with that. You know, if we're if we're having the same team and working on everything, why not kind of uh, make our own little universe, right? Yeah, you know, I can imagine just called the Horus Verse. Yeah, the Horus Verse. Yeah, yeah, the, the Horus Cinematic Universe. Yep, <laughs> I could I could fully see it. I could see him challenging uh, Grandma Chainsaw down the road already because I mean that just kind of yeah. writes itself. But I mean, yeah. going going with the direction you guys are going, I obviously there's a, it seems like a lot of big plans for year two. And that's a great thing to, to hear coming from you. And just obviously looking back on year one, what do you think was the biggest success you've had? Um, I think the biggest success that we had was the the jump from Pocus Hocus 1 to Pocus Hocus 2. Okay. Um, not even so much uh, monetarily, because like, that's always good to see because comic books are expensive to make. Yeah. So it's always nice <laughs> to see... Oh, thank God! I can make some of my costs back. That's awesome. But we, from one camp, from Focus Focus One to Focus Focus Two, we literally gained a hundred new backers. So wow! We went from it was we went from like seventy three backers to a hundred and seventy three. So seeing that was one of those like okay, good, because it's your first issue and it's the first time I've ever made a comic book, anything, and you're thinking, is this even good? Because um, we moved at a little bit of a slower pace whenever we made it, um, just because we didn't know what we were doing. We're figuring it out. Hell, we're still figuring it out as we go. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, after it was finished, we were sick of looking at it, and we we're like, "This is trash." <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope 
someone out there likes and gets enjoyment in this and i hope we can continue this who knows um and then we started getting feedback and we're like oh my gosh people actually like this <laughs> yeah and then we made pocus hocus 2 and this the jump from one to two was just insane well i think like it just comes across as when you're writing it feels like it's done by a fan for fans like they it, and i'm not saying like there's distinct writing like you know and it's, it kind of feels like with a major character you know you got to really write for a, a wider audience like this one is like okay if you're into magic you're into humor you're into a little bit of horror this is a book go give it a shot and it almost seems like it's connecting on that level like not so much like obviously on a corporate level because you're doing an indie comic right so and that's what's weird like we, we were trying to hone in and this is going to sound super pretentious but we were trying to hone in on the genre of pocus and, and there was just so much mm -hmm. right there there's uh action comedy drama suspense it's a thriller it has horror elements like there's just like it's kind of just a smorgasbord of a bunch of crap yeah. that we just threw together for genres and we it, it we felt like it was natural just just kind of how the flow of the story and everything goes mm -hmm. no i mean and it definitely comes across that way especially when you think about like all the tears you're doing for your kickstarter and then even going to now grandma chainsaw i'm seeing what you guys have for this kickstarter and I think one of the coolest things, and I was talking to Pat about this too, the uh, for the ten backers, you can have, actually have your picture drawn with Hazel. Yeah, <laughs> it's awesome, right? How cool of an idea is that? Yeah, so we wanted to really try to hone in, and um, so the little, uh, I guess, personal information about me: uh, I was raised with my grandparents. Okay. Uh, so you would never believe it or not, but I have a really soft spot for the geriatric population, even though I'm writing a... <laughs> <laughs> You're writing a, a deadly comic of it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, but so the, the name Hazel is actually um, it's taken from my great-grandmother. Oh, very cool. Um, who, was, who was one of the best people that have ever walked this earth, right? Um, so it, it was kind of also, I guess this is my own, you know, dark, twisted sense of humor way of just remembering my, my great grandma right? mm. and the impact that she had on me because she was, uh, she was such an angel, but she was also scary as all hell. So uh, that we can kind of blend that over. Right? Yeah, I could definitely but, uh, see that I, I, with reading the comic. I'm not gonna do any spoilers, but I could definitely see that there's one scene that definitely jumps out the minds like that. Yes. Um, but yeah, so be, again, being raised by my grandparents, I was raised in that environment, right? So that's why we have like the idea of a memory maker because I know how important photos are to get with your grandparents, mm -hmm. and um, it means the world to them. So why not get a picture with our slasher, yeah, <laughs> Hazel, and um, the the aprons, stuff like that. You know what I mean? Just our, our grandma chainsaw branded aprons, and my personal favorite is still the Eat Slay Love T-shirt. I, I legit laughed out loud when I saw that. Pad was here in the yeah. studio. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, it, oh, go. I'm sorry. No, I was just saying, yeah, it's just, it's so stupid. We're so dumb. <laughs> but, you know, but this is the one thing about doing a project like this. You're allowed to take, I, I'm not going to say dumb risks, but, I mean, you're allowed to have some Cal fun. Yeah, well, it's a calculated one yeah. because, I mean, this is something like when you're going to Kickstarters. I mean, Pat has gone to Kickstarters. I've gone on Kickstarters mm -hmm. before you really want something that's fun for the tears. Like you really want to go through like, okay, you can give me X, Y, and Z and everybody else is doing this, but give me something fun. Like give me something like, okay, if I'm really going to spend this money and I really want to get behind a project, like 
like give me something really cool well and sometimes it's those dumb things that really take off because i remember a couple of years ago and even ken might remember alan you might as well but everywhere the college kids were wearing especially the guys were wearing that shirt that just said supreme oh jesus yeah. on the front of it oh yeah yeah which is which on which on paper is just the dumbest thing in the world like oh we're gonna yeah. print a shirt that says supreme on the front of it with the most basic graphic yeah yeah well, ba- has ever seen yeah and it and it was everywhere you know so sometimes stuff like that it just connects with people and it takes off yeah it, it does and and they charge like 90 dollars a t-shirt Good yeah, they did <laughs> i know i i still can't wrap my head around that like, the fact you brought that up at i'm just like yeah i remember that stuff was like 100 bucks for a yeah. t-shirt and it was like and it was everywhere like, for what for what i mean hey i mean if you own one, hey more power to you, but me, I'm just like sitting watching. I'm going, uh, that ain't my cup of Java. But but you're you're right on the head though. It's like you want something that really stands out, and I think for what the tears are for the grandma chainsaw. I mean, there's some really cool stuff out here that if you want to be a real super fan and you can afford to do it, by all means, go do it because this is really worth the while. Like between the glow in the dark cover, the UV glow cover, I should say, and the draw, have yourself drawn with hazel, like. That's some really outside the box thinking. I think that's such a cool idea. Yeah, um, the I, I think one of my favorite things though, aside from the t-shirt though, is, is the UV cover. Um, just because I, I think it's it's going to be a very special item to have. And we sold metal covers on the last campaign, mm-hmm. and it's it's so hard to capture those on a Kickstarter and actually show it. Yeah, um, you know, with the quality that you get. But once it's actually in your hand, it's incredible. Um, and I and I hope that the UV cover comes off that way because I already know, and I'm kind of dispositioned from where we ordered them before. But man, yeah, these uh, these this cover is going to be sick. And I, and I can't wait to have it in my hands. Oh, nice. I mean, and that's something that obviously fans can start getting a hold of today. And the Kickstarter campaign is going through August, or I'm sorry, October 20th, correct? Yeah, October 20th. So we always try to run for a, for a good 30-day window. Uh, just because Kickstarter's set up, uh, you know, uh, from where they do, obviously don't take the funds until the the moment the campaign ends. Uh, so we always want to make sure we give people plenty of time to come in and back it. Um, and mm-hmm. then the other thing that we always pride ourselves on too, and this is what we we've done, I think, pretty much since we kind of figured out how Kickstarter vaguely works with Focus Focus Two ish. Um, we, we always want to make our tiers an a la carte system. Yeah. So we, we never want anyone to feel like they're being strong-armed into getting anything. So like if someone really likes, you know, for someone really wants to be drawn beside Hazel, um, you don't have to back a, a $500 tier to do it. Mm-hmm. It's an add-on. Done, right? You, yeah. you want to get a metal cover, but you also want to get two other covers. Well, you don't need to buy one of every cover and one of every metal cover. You just pick the two covers that you want in the twin pack and then add a metal cover to it. You know, so it's just, we, we always try to make it fair for the fans. And that's something that I think that really helps to describe your fan base because I think the, just the sheer numbers they show up on first day for your Kickstarters really refl- reflects that connection that obviously you're coming at this, it's an indie book, it's really been word of mouth how it's really spread throughout all social media, and yet it keeps growing and growing and growing that now with the latest book from your brand coming out is really showcasing that. I mean, that's just got to be like sitting back going first day. Like we've almost hit our goal. Like what's going on here? Yeah. Uh, and obviously we're, we're still hoping for a 24 hour fund, which 
uh, th- these are always fun, uh, especially on day one and twos, because that's, that's when you get like the majority of your foot traffic. And mm. uh, it's cool, though, because that's when our uh, overseas fans back is when we're sleeping. Mm. So it's always fun to wake up and see what the difference is. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like Christmas Day, so to speak. Yeah, it is. It's like, did we do it? <laughs> yeah. And then just going into it, it's your perfect time of year. You're coming out with it. It's obviously going into Halloween season. And I think as the weather starts cooling down and everything starts going all pumpkin, you're going to see a big spike going into it, especially with con season coming up. There's going to be word of mouth buzzing around about this book going in. And then obviously heading into Halloween. I mean, the expectations just got to be so high, but yet so exciting at the same time. Yeah. Um, and just letting you guys know too, we, we just found out right before this call, um, we got the projects we love from Kickstarter. Um, so this is the second time that we got it. We didn't get it for focus four. We got it for focus three. So yeah, we have it for focus three and then we have it for this one congratulations man that's so awesome to hear i'm so happy for you guys like seriously the book stands on its own the link is on the kickstarter on the front page of odphpodcast.com and you can even look in the liner notes of this episode and they're sitting right there so you can click check the tiers there's something for everybody it's made for fans by fans i can't speak highly enough about this book alan before we let you go you know i like to throw a curveball before we send you out the door it's halloween season obviously can you give us your top three horror movies of all time? Um, okay, so this this is hard because I'm that guy that lumps everything into different categories, right? Okay. It's like, well, what am I in the mood for? But I think my top three horror movies of all time uh, would probably have to be Evil Dead 2. Okay, excellent um, choice. The Witch. Okay. And, um, man... I'm going to kind of go out on a limb and say this one for a PG 13 horror movie. And it gets me every time insidious. Really? Yeah. I I think insidious is a very well done PG 13 horror movie. Interesting. I, I I rarely hear that in in anybody's top five, top three. No, and and there's no shame about it. Like, I'm not like, how dare you? Like, you know, it's not like saying Eternals is the best Marvel movie, you know, in my opinion. But yeah, I don't know who would ever say that sentence. Yes. But it happens, right? (laughs) Yeah, yes. (laughs) (laughs) To each their own. I know I'm going to get some very angry tweets about that comment later. But listen, if you're a fan, be a fan of it. That's what matters. And especially if you are a fan of comics, definitely go check this project out. The team behind this puts a lot of heart and soul into it. We stand behind it because we are paying customers for this. And I will tell you right now, the book, without spoiling anything, is going to be something if you're a horror comic fan, you definitely need to have in your collection. Alan, thank you again for stopping by the ODPH. You know you're welcome back anytime. So definitely we'll have to make it uh, happen sooner than later, my friend. Yes, definitely. I'm, I'm going to be wearing that invitation out. So thank you, guys. Oh, absolutely. Anytime. So that said, folks, the information's in the liner notes of this podcast. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, guys. My name is JT. What's up, everyone? I'm Darren. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Josh. Hey, guys, I'm Christian. Hey, what's up, y'all? This is Dominic, and we're the East Coast Avengers. We're a group of five friends who get together weekly and talk about everything that's going on in the nerd universe. Whether you're a fan of Marvel, DC, Star Wars, video games, comics, or anything else nerdy that you can think of, we're the podcast for you. You can find us on Anchor, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or whatever streaming platform you use to listen to your favorite podcasts on. You can also catch us on our YouTube channel where we release tons of content such as vlogs, unboxings, TV and movie recaps, and trailer reactions. 
So if those things sound good to you, then check out the East Coast Avengers podcast. We hope you enjoy. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. And it is time to recap episode five of Disney Plus's and Marvel Studios smash hit She-Hulk Attorney mm-hmm. at Law. Tatiana Maslany is playing the title role. And this show is definitely picking up a lot of steam. A lot more positive reaction lately yeah. uh, compared to how it started out on social media. And that's always a good thing to see because obviously this book is a different book than we're all used to. But if you've read the Marvel comics, it makes perfect sense because yes, does. She, She-Hulk does break the fourth wall a lot. does have a lot more humor than you see in your traditional superhero comics. So that said... If you're new to the ODPH, first and foremost, thanks for checking us out. What we like to do is give you a spoiler-free statement of the episode, and then we give you a countdown warning, and then from there we go into spoiler talk, and we go deep diving. So if you don't want anything ruined, you haven't seen the episode yet, we respect that, but we give you fair warning. So then don't hit us up later and say, oh, my God, you guys ruined the episode. Well, did we really? I don't think so. So that being said, Pad, spoiler-free statement for mean, green, and straight poured into those jeans. Thought it was a fun episode. Gotta admit, I think the only thing missing from this episode was like a riff on the Law and Order. Bum bum. Yeah, because it felt like a it felt like a Law and Order episode, just with a little more humor added into it. Uh, but no, fun episode. Loved just what they did and what the the ending. Oh boy, Jamil Jamil definitely had some great moments in the scenes of Titania. And for what we saw here, this is She Hulk one hundred and one. Yeah, like I say. A lot of humor, a lot of fourth wall, and really, that's what I'm expecting from the show. Like, I'm not expecting this to be Moon Knight 2.0. Right. I'm not expecting this to be super heavy. I'm expecting to just sit here, have some fun, and see the Easter eggs that are building, because obviously She-Hulk is going to be a big part of the MCU moving forward. They definitely did that. Had a great cliffhanger ending <laughs> that we'll talk about. After the countdown. Uh, and if you've avoided that spoiler to this point, hey, kudos to you. Congratulations. That's impressive. I was going to say, I don't know how anybody dodged that one, but yeah, if you really. did, hey, more power to you. But that being said, Pad, in three, two, one, talk to me. Thought it was a really fun episode. Loved the kind of courtroom drama, but they didn't take it so seriously. Like, it was still like a courtroom, like, oh, we're going to take this seriously. But it was it felt a little more lighthearted than what you might expect from, like, a Law and Order mm. or, or any of those other courtroom dramas you've seen over the years. Still a lot of fun, though, and yo, that that uh, little cliffhanger at the ending. I, I was like, oh, bummer, there's no uh, bonus scene. Oh, that's why there's no bonus scene. You don't need one. None needed. This episode really had something for everybody. A lot more humor, a lot of really what this show hits its high marks on. Mm-hmm. It's not taking itself super seriously. The humor is a good aspect, but they do follow a story, and a lot of things they bring up. Listen, this is a different side of the MCU than we're used to seeing. This makes perfect sense. No issues with this awesome or at, at, in any kind of way, shape, or form. Yeah. Like, and one thing that I think really stuck out is Jamil Jamel's performance as Titania. We finally really got to see her really deep dive into the role. And this just plays right into She-Hulk's strengths because obviously this episode kicks off with how Titania has trademarked she-Hulk. Mm-hmm. And she did so right after the events of the first episode, was it? Yeah, with the courtroom first fight. First episode with the courtroom fight. She got her ass handed to her uh, and then promptly uh, went and trademarked the name. Yeah, like any social media influencer does. So immediately started copywriting it and then started selling beauty products based off it, 
which just really was like, what the hell is going on? Because as we saw last episode, Jennifer Walters was served uh, cease yeah. and desist or served pa- pa- paperwork for yep. it that you can't use the name She-Hulk anymore. And she's like, yep. well, what? This is was given to me by the public. It's technically my name. Right. So this becomes a wacky point plot for the show, but it works. Yeah, it does. And that's where we kind of go from here because she goes back to her bosses at the law firm mm-hmm. and they tell her straight up, you need to fix this. Yeah, or, or else. Yes. And we're going to give you an attorney, Mallory Book. Yeah, because uh, obviously you can't represent yourself in this situ- yes. situation. So you need to have somebody defend you, which I mean, it's kind of playing into the whole point of, okay, She-Hulk is a law show. Mm-hmm. And we always kind of seem to forget that at some aspect, that this is a legal show. Yep. Much in the same vein of your law and orders to a mm-hmm. certain degree, but obviously with a little twist of the Marvel Universe. And this is where it really finds its vibe. And this is where I think it really kicked into speed. It really did some cool things. And we start going into the deep dive of the court case. Because how do you prove a public superhero owns a right to a name or not? Right. And this is where Renee Elsie Goldsberry mm-hmm. really stood out in this role, too, as Mallory Book. Yeah. She came in and definitely was like, okay, we need to establish what you have, what you don't, really prove this in a court of law, and really try selling the point. Well, and, and just establish it like, hey, you know, yes, we are coworkers. Yes, we are colleagues. You're the client. I'm the attorney. Like, let's just set some basic ground rules here. Yeah, which is smart. Like, yeah. how, how they did this is subtly smart. And then, obviously, when you see their plan of attack, they go, well, we're going to countersue. Mm-hmm. Because you're only doing this to exploit the fact that you lost to her and you're right. just trying to make money for profit. It's so legal, it works. Mm-hmm. Like it, I know that's kind of like an oxymoron statement, but listen, this is thinking outside the box because we always see in usual comic books, yeah. we don't go to the legal system that often. Mm-hmm. It's usually, well, the authorities show up after the fact, take the villain away. We're just going to punch each other in the face until one of us doesn't stand up anymore, and then we're going to let other folks take care of it. Yeah, so it's a perfectly placed storyline going on. And like I say, I, I really enjoyed it. I think I was laughing a little bit more than I should have. Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, you had her assistant, Nikki, played by Ginger Gonzalez, and Pug, who's the assistant lawyer that's helping them out, played by Josh Segura. Yeah. And we know him from Arrow. Yes, we do. Uh, they're on a side mission. Yep. And, Pad, what is that side mission? Listen, she needs an outfit. You know, the suits are fine. You know, but it's getting a little a little expensive. You know, she needs something a little more form-fitting, I guess you could say, a little more superhero-appropriate for when she needs to jump into action. Yes. So they go out of their way to find the tailor to the stars, or should I say the tailor to the superhero stars, mm-hmm. as they go find Luke Jacobson and are really trying to say, okay, well, we have a friend. She's an Avenger. She needs outfits. Let's make this happen. And Griffin Matthews, who plays Luke Jacobson, he was fantastic in this. Well, and it's and it's a whole ordeal to find him just because it's not like you can look up, you know, Luke Jacobson in the yellow pages, find an address and then go like make an appointment for, yeah. for Thursday at three. This guy is like unlisted, only known by his spoken word. And that's if you know the right people. And then you need to know the right people who can get you in to see the guy. And even then there's roadblocks to get to him. Yeah, because they had to go buy bootleg Avengers memorabilia (laughs) just to get an interview through. That was overpriced. Yeah. Absolutely hysterical scene. Like, we can't even do it justice. Just the variations you see. And it's it's so true, though. I mean, to think about, like, how many times you see stuff get blatantly ripped off. 
and made into you know completely alternate mm-hmm. logos and yet people are selling that and that's how yeah. you, that's how it works so it's a cover up for it like it was just so well thought out i got to just admit that because that's a backstory that's going on and that's going to come back into play later however the real strength of this episode is when they go to the courtroom yeah and so titania is established in her case and then Jennifer Walters literally has to sit there and try coming up with a counter defense. Because they, they meet for like the first hearing or like whatever it is, you know, the first extended period. And everything's presented from the, the plaintiff side, the defendant side. And the judge sits there and listens to everything, goes, you know what? You know, you have X amount of time to come up with a way to prove in your favor because right now I'm leaning towards uh, Titiana's, you know, defense that like in letting her keep the trademark. So that's when uh, she Hulk really starts panicking. Yeah. Because obviously she knows that she can't really win this because what she has to do is defend the words that came out of her mouth, which was the public gave me the name. So technically it's a public name, very intricate details with this. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing I thought was really overlooked is, how fine-tuned this was. Right. Well, and, pl- and also proved that she was using the name uh, before the, sh- the trademark was used. Yes. Because that was one of the arguments that uh, Titiana and her and her legal team used was that they played the clip of the interview uh, Jennifer Walters did with the local news, news station. And they're like, oh, how did you come up with the name She-Hulk? You know, it was like, oh, I didn't come up with the name. You know, it was given to me by random folks. And, like, then there was, like, the TMZ-esque. That, that, then they cut to the TMZ-esque. Yep. You know, somebody coming up and, oh, what do you think she... Wait, listen, I hate the name. Stop calling me that. And they're like, hey, see, she doesn't even like the name. Why should she care? Yeah, so they came up with a very unique way of proving mm-hmm. the name was Jennifer Walters. Pat, how do they come up with this? Well, so Jennifer Walters discovers that one of her unsuccessful dates, Todd, uh, is a client at her firm. And and it kind of like brainstorm hits her a little like and goes, wait a minute. You know, I used the She-Hulk name on the dating app before the trademark was cl- was uh, placed. You know, the copyright was placed. I was identifying myself as, C- as She-Hulk and went on all these dates with all these guys, unsuccessfully. Mm-hmm. Under the name She-Hulk. Yes. So she then brings in every unsuccessful date. Shout out David Otunga. Shout out David Otunga. Made a return. Uh, They brought in all of these gentlemen as witnesses to, hey, yeah, we dated She-Hulk on X, Y, and Z dates. Yes. And they bring up every date, put them on the stand. All the while, Jennifer Walters is sinking lower and lower in her chair. Yes. And, in fact, it's proven that the last date, the one that she hooked up with, had to come out and said, yeah, I would. I only date her because she was She-Hulk, and that was the, under mm-hmm. the impression I was. It was Jennifer Walters that would never date her. So, I mean, it's a bittersweet moment because she wins the case from this, but mm-hmm. that's also degrading as all hell. That Yeah, and, and even uh, Book, you know, her, her uh, lawyer. Yes, you know, Mallory there. Mallory, so they get out of the court case. She's like, listen, I'm glad you won, but really, you deserve so much better than them. Yeah, they wind up going to the bar, having a drink after. Establishing a little friendship. Establishing something because Mallory is really keeping a good professional relationship yeah. here. Like, they're not being buddy-buddy is where I'm going with this. They're really She's really being fine about setting the guidelines. Like, listen, you're going to need legal representation. I'm going to have to be it so we don't have to be BFFs. But, I, yeah. but I'm giving you my sound peace of mind because after going through everything that Jennifer Walters has gone through since she's gotten the powers of her cousin Bruce Banner, it's not exactly been easy. No. But she does win this one, so obviously this is a huge win for her. All the while, though, her assistant, Nikki, uh-huh. has been going around and definitely uh, 
secured the tailor that she yep. needs. Yep. And we find out that he is going to take her on as a client, even though uh, it was under false pretense. Yes. Because, well, Nikki was selling that, oh, yeah, she's an Avenger. She's yeah. an Avenger. Yeah. No, she's, so, she's big and famous. Yeah. So the paperwork hasn't gone through yet. So he brings Jennifer Walters to uh, Luke. And Luke is like, fine, I'll, I'll do what I can. And then this is the the moment of the episode that everything goes completely crazy. Yeah, because she, she's sitting there looking at the screen. And then, you know, uh, she looks at the screen and goes, ooh, that's right, my costume. Which I love that whole little scene where, like, that the way her face lit up and she looked at the screen, I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And then it cuts back to, uh, you know, the, the Taylor's place, you know, and she's going in to try on the outfit. And then you just see Luke go shout at his assistant and goes, "Don't we? Don't you have any consideration for clientele uh, privacy?" And he picks up a little box about the uh, size that you would see a hat put in, you know, fancy hat. And he brings it behind a curtain and he goes to shut the curtain, but not before he sets the box down. And you see inside the box, and what's inside the box? The Daredevil mask. Mm-hmm. And that's how the episode ends. Very straightforward, very telling of where we're going. Obviously, we know Charlie Cox is long overdue to make an appearance on yes, the show. Yes, he is. The fact that he's working with a tailor. Yeah. I know a lot of people online got mad about because obviously in the Netflix show, the gladiator made his outfit. Right. Melvin. Right. Pat, how are you feeling about this? This just to me says that the show, that this incarnation is not entirely connected with the Netflix show. Charlie Cox has been saying as much. I know some folks are taking issue with that, which, hey, to each of their own. But I think this just shows that while you might get some references and you might get some callbacks to the Netflix show, I don't think it'll be directly connected. And, hey, Feige has yet to do wrong other than, you know, uh, Injustice or not Injustice. Uh, Eternals. It, no, not Eternals. <laughs> no, not Eternals. Uh, Inhumans. You know, other than Inhumans, you know, Eternals is you know, it's not the best thing in the world, but it's also not the worst thing in the world I've seen. You know, I'm kind of 50 50 on it. Um, but no, other than, other than in humans, Feige has yet to do anything wrong. So, Hey, I'm not one of these people that's going to jump on, you know, jump on the train and go, Oh, this is shit. Why are they doing this? Why are they contradicting? Like, no, nah, I'm going to let it play out, see what they do and then make a call. I am with you on that. The fact that I saw people like losing their minds, like there was a few and, and listen, I understand with fandom, you're going to have a small group that does this mm-hmm. each and every time oh, I yeah. get it. Oh, yeah. It comes with the territory. But what I also say, I echo what Pat said. Feige has had a pretty stellar record about delivering. And there's a pretty established uh, line between Feige and then the then Marvel Television. Yeah. And there were even some stories and some reports, which, you know, allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Mm. If you were to lock the two sides in a room, somebody wouldn't come out alive. That they they did not like each other. Right. And I th- And I think that's pretty clearly evidenced, you know, based on... The shows are supposed to be connected to the movies. It's all supposed to be one big universe. Mm-hmm. But I'm sorry, how many times did they say the incident? Yeah. With with New York City, you didn't say, oh, the Chitari attack on New York City. Right. It's really not that much more to say than the incident. Exactly. And I think that we all just need to really pump brakes and, and see how this all plays out. Like, we might see the character that was on the Netflix show appear. Sure. Just in a different incarnation. That's one thing we have to remember with this. The fact that we're even getting those characters back. Mm-hmm. Like, let's face it. If Marvel wanted to, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. say, Vincent D'Onofrio, thank you for your service. Charlie Cox, thank you, too. We're going in a different direction. Right. That's their prerogative. 
the fact they're bringing them back shows that they have faith in how they did their performances. And I and I think this is going to be another instance like we've seen with Feige bringing in some, you know characters that weren't initially his or mm-hmm. weren't initially Marvel's, bringing them in and hey, they're already pre-established characters. We're not going to see their origin stories because by now there's been a, an entire like what three four seasons of a show plus the movie. Yeah, you should know the character's origins by now. He's already an established character. That's why I say there could be callbacks to moments and events that happened in that Netflix show. That's not to say you know the show is connected to the to the new stuff. It's just hey, there are moments that took place before we saw him in this universe, mm-hmm. and those are the moments, and it's just a reference point for us, the fans. And that's one thing, too. They're not insulting our intelligence. Like, how many times yeah. do we really need to see Matt Murdock push somebody out of the way, spilling all the chemicals? Say, how many times do we need to see Uncle Ben die? Yeah, exactly. Like, Feige's saying, listen, we've already been down this road. Yeah. Let's just go forge yeah. our own path. So the fact we're getting the costume, it's going to be interesting. I will say that. I don't exactly know what to think, but I think they're tying it more so into the initial run of Daredevil, which we have to remember, he did have a yellow and black costume to start with and then went to the traditional red. It does look like they're doing the same thing here because what was hanging on the coat rack, too, in the Taylor's uh, studio was the Daredevil suit. Mm -hmm. So we just need to be patient and see how this all plays out. Like This could be something that he does one time, she-Hulk makes a comment saying, like, why are you wearing that color outfit? And he's like, well, I can't see. I'm blind. Like, you could see something like that sure, happening. Sure, And then, obviously, he decides later he's going to switch up the, the color to go all red. Like, they could do something like that. And I think that that would be fine to do. Like, I mean, because they're going to try doing something humorous when you see She-Hulk meet Daredevil. Maybe the suit's not involved, but... Yeah, maybe. I mean, who knows? Like, that's the whole thing about this. But for everybody losing their mind, and this is where I'm going with this point... Pump the brakes. Well, the other thing, too, we got to remember, because I think they're deliberately leaving this little plot point out to make us forget about it. Remember in, I think it was episode two, where she got attacked in the alleyway or on the street by the guys trying to take her blood, mm-hmm. and they were unsuccessful. We haven't seen any inkling of that story since then. So I think either the next episode or obviously one of the next couple episodes, there will be another instance of those, of that. But then you'll see Daredevil show up because, hey, this is, you know, they're a part of an organization I've been tracking and hunting down because blah, 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 whatever the reason is. I think it's a very deliberate reason we haven't seen those guys since then because they're trying to like, hey, let's let enough time and enough weeks go by that, you know, the viewers forget about them. Exactly. So we'll have a lot to digest for next week. But in the meantime, hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about episode five entitled Mean Green and Straight Port into These Jeans? She-Hulk Attorney at Law. On Disney Plus, let's talk about it, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Sunny Hepburn. And I'm Brandy Fleets. And we're from Book Book of Lies, Lies. the podcast, where we discuss liars, cheats, and thieves, scammers, and dirty, rotten scoundrels. You can tune in for new episodes every Tuesday to hear about another lowdown, dirty liar, and learn how to spot them. So that's Book of Lies podcast. You can connect with us on social media, Twitter at Book of Lies Pod, Facebook and Instagram at Book of Lies Podcast. Bye. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And wow, we need to talk about HBO Max's big hit and arguably the episode that generated the most buzz this weekend on social media. Mm -hmm. And that is... The Game of Thrones spinoff, House of the Dragon, <laughs> and the episode entitled We Light the Way. Yeah. So, Pad, 
first and foremost, how is the viewership for this show? Uh, going up surprisingly, uh, because reading from an article on Variety.com, article reads, quote, Viewership of House of the Dragon has hit a steady pace. The fifth episode of the Game of Thrones prequel drew 3% more viewers than episode four. Variety has learned exclusively. Additionally, season one is now averaging 29 million viewers per episode across its first five episodes. These statistics combine Nielsen's measurement of episode five's four cable airings on Sunday with the number of streaming viewers across HBO Max and other HBO platforms. When isolating linear viewership, according to Nielsen, 2.576 million people tuned into the episode on HBO itself a 4% increase when compared to last week's 2.474 million cable viewers. Close quote. Yeah, the show is... I honestly thought that it was going to struggle to gain some viewers until it really started rolling. Mm-hmm. The Game of Thrones army is out in full force for this one. Yeah, it is. I thought they disappeared after the debacle that was the last season, but man, did they ever show up. Wow. Yeah. And rightfully so, because now finally this show is hitting its stride, and there is much to discuss about this latest episode. Mm-hmm. So let's get into that spoiler-free talk, and then obviously after the countdown, we go live with that spoiler deep dive. So, Pad, spoiler-free statement. Thought it was a really great episode. Like you said, I thought it really hit its stride, and really there was just a lot I liked about the episode. And I'm interested to see where they go with this up epi- after this episode, because it's been publicly known, you know, this isn't a spoiler, you know, we're going to do another time jump after this episode. I believe it's like 10 years or something, yes. 10 years, you know, so it'll be interesting to see where things have gone and how things have progressed. And I was even having a discussion with this, uh, with somebody today. It'll be interesting to see where this goes. You know, is it going to kind of go off in its own thing and just kind of end, or is it going to do, you know, the star Wars prequels thing or like, you know, the Hobbit, movies and like and right as the uh previous series or the you know the original series i guess you could say starts you know so it'll be it'll be interesting to see because they're certainly setting up for a lot and they're doing a lot of time jumping i agree with trade driven weddings in this universe avoid avoid at all costs i'll say what's more likely to fail a wedding in pro wrestling or a wedding in game of thrones game of thrones (laughs) game of thrones they have, uh, wrestling has just a slightly a better record. Slightly. And it's not much. It's not much. So, a lot going on this episode. And there finally feels like this is Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Like, it took a while to get here, but we're yeah. here. It, it had to set a lot up. It had to get the right pieces in the right place. But now that, you know, the chessboard is ready, I guess you could say, let's start playing the game. Exactly. So, I'm happy we're finally here. I'm sad, though, they're going to be replacing actresses, like you talked yeah. about, for the time jump. Because like, you get connected to these actresses and actors. You like you form kind of like a bond with the portrayal they're doing, and then they change. Yeah, it's kind of a crazy thing. But then again, so is this series in general. Yeah. So, that being said... In three, two, one. Pad, if we ever get invited to weddings that are Game of Thrones themed, we are not showing up. Hell no. Jesus, man. If, if I ever hear the Reigns of Castamere playing, I'm walking out the door. This is something that has become a staple for Game of Thrones. Uh-huh. Like, why Why was anybody expecting less? When they announced wedding, Yeah. you, you should know, okay... Bad things are going to happen. The only wedding I've ever, that I can remember, and it's been a number of years since I've read the book, so please correct me if I'm wrong, you know, hashtag ODPHpod. The only wedding I remember in the books, and I don't think they necessarily showed it in the show or it went as far as it did in the book, as it did in the books. The only wedding I remember that didn't go fucking sideways in the worst way possible 
was between uh, Khaleesi and Cal Drogo. Yeah. But, but that wasn't without a fair share of wild and fucking bizarre antics in that wedding. But, yeah, weddings in this universe are just, you know, weddings are supposed to be a happy moment. You know, one of the pillars of, your, of uh, two people's lives. Yeah, I wouldn't want that as a part of my pillar if I'm in this universe. Exactly. However, though, this episode did not kick off with the wedding, but it kicked off with the MVP. Yes, Julio from the Contrarians podcast. I said the MVP, and I stand my ground with this. <laughs> the man, the myth, the freaking legend himself, Matt Smith. Yeah. And he is, well, going back home, I guess. Yep. To Runestone? Mm-hmm. And, well, you know, he takes off for a while, and there was kind of a little, uh, do I say cliffhanger? Do I say... Yeah. Uh, a little detail we've all kind of forgotten about. Yeah, well, I mean, there is the whole ongoing thing with Damon and, you know, his his wife that he's certainly estranged from. You know, if if you've been paying attention to the show and kind of his antics in, in the first, you know, four episodes. You know, so he he goes back. We, we started, you know, runestone and on a road there. And you see this woman in armor riding on her horse. And then there's this figure standing there. And she she sees who it is. It's her husband, Damon. You know, and she's like, oh, finally come home to consummate the marriage, have you? Or are you looking to end it? And then he ends up, you know, running at her or whatever the hell happens. You know, he spooks the horse. The horse throws her back. She lands on the ground. And then, you know, the horse falls backwards and cracks her in the head and kills her. And and she's like knocked out. She's like basically on death's doorbed right then and there. And then uh, Damon goes up and finishes the deed. See, this whole scene was just out of control. This and interesting, if you watched the behind the scenes thing on HBO Max, which mm-hmm. I highly recommend you do, this was an expunged or expanded on moment in the book, which I thought was interesting. Because, yeah. Because in the book, it's mentioned she died and that she died, you know, because a, a horse fell and killed her. It's never explicitly said that Damon did it, but, you know, the showrunners and the writers were like, well, I mean, just looking at how the universe works, it's plausible to connect one to two, and then three is, you know, Damon did it. So you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> exactly. As bad as that sounds. Because when uh, Rhea Royce shows up, Lady Rhea Royce, mm-hmm. played by Rachel Redford, she is immediately talking trash to Damon. Yeah, she is. And Damon is just kind of sitting there like watching. And Who then, the hell do you think you are? Yeah, he's just like, okay, you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've been going through. Like, We need to start pumping the brakes here because it's going to get real bad in a hurry. And then the horse freaks out like Pat says throws her from it, falls on her, and basically breaks her neck mm-hmm. or back. Like So she's not moving. She she's, ain't moving. She's, she's paralyzed. Stuck. Yeah. And then even while she's on the ground, she's still talking trash to Damon. Mm-hmm. And Damon, and she's like, what, are you going to leave me here? Like She's basically saying, like, finish the job if you're going to do this because she's blaming him for scaring the horse. So Damon <laughs> grabs the biggest rock he can and starts walking over, and it's alluded to yeah. him doing you don't, the you job. Don't, you don't see it, but like you can figure out what happened. Right. So while this nonsense is going on, King Viserys is doing King Viserys things. Uh-huh. And obviously, it's something with this whole land. Yeah. Everybody got to get married. Yeah. We, we're got to strengthen the ties, which is a callback to, you know, ancient, you know, medieval, you know, Europe. And, and you know, all the king of England's got to marry his daughter off, you know, with the the prince of Belgium or, or something like that. They're like, oh, you know, because then it creates a... a a partnership between the two countries that if one you know some other country attacks either of us we're going to back each other up you know yeah. it's all a game of thrones it's really playbook stuff right here so obviously yeah. 
we have the heir apparent, Queen Rhaenyra, who's played for the last time by Millie Alcock, mm-hmm. who's done a phenomenal job. Phenomenal job. From, from the start here. And she is supposed to marry Sir Laner, who is from the House Valerian. Yep. And obviously, this is not without its own problems as well. She wants to do it on her own. You know, she she wants she wants to go, I guess you could say, the, the modern route, you know, our time route. Like, hey, I want to find somebody I like. I don't want to get put in something I don't want. And her father goes, no, you're going to do what I say, and that's final. Yeah, so it then becomes a very crazy scenario because the Sir Laner has a boyfriend mm-hmm. that the family does not know about. Yeah, they, they basically ex- uh, discuss between each other on like a, a lovely, you know, moonlit beach walk. Mm-hmm. They're like, hey, listen, neither of us is happy about this. We've both got other interests, you know, when it comes to lovers. You know, so listen, this benefits the both of us from a political standpoint to do this. So we're going to put do our royal duties, but it's basically going to be an open marriage. Yeah. We're like, you can go do whatever. Well, I shouldn't say whatever you want. You should go do whoever you want. Exactly. So she's like, you, you be with your boyfriend. I'm going to go be with Sir Kristen. We're good. Everything's fine. And, you know, they come to that agreement. So, like, you think everything is fine. Mm-hmm. But then again, this is a Game of Thrones universe. This is a Game of Thrones, and it's far too early in the episode for things to be hunky dory. Yeah, there's no such thing as a happy ending. Here. Like if, like if you ever think, if you're ever watching Game of Thrones or even House of the Dragon, you think things are okay, things are going to turn out good. Pause the episode, look at where the little timer is on the bottom of your screen, and then realize, okay, if you're at the end, okay, there's maybe there might there's a small chance, but if you're like super early into the episode, there's no chance. Yeah. So while this is going on, Sir Otto, the former hand of the king is talking to his daughter, Queen Alison, mm-hmm. and saying, well, you know what? If Rhaenyra becomes queen, well, guess what? You're on the chopping block. Yeah, you are. And Emily Carey, who's been playing Alison, I would say has really stepped up in the past roles. Like yeah. She's been really given a lot of material to run with, Yeah, and she definitely is doing that here because at this point, she starts digging into Rhaenyra. Like, she now sees her, we have a friend of me moment. Mm-hmm. So she starts digging in to Sir Kristen about, like, well... What's going on with Rhaenyra and her uncle Damon? Because why, Pad? Reasons. None of them are good. None of them are good at all. And then it kind of gets leaked. Well, Kristen was. She's she's like, I've heard X, Y, and Z. You know, this is some of the. And she doesn't even get through her full explanation. No. And he's just like, no. Yeah, it's true. Every word of it. Yep. So that is now what she needs to kind of mm-hmm. throw a curveball into everything. So yeah. she has now become the biggest X factor of this whole marriage deal because. As they start going into the ceremony, she enters the building wearing green. Uh-huh. Now, Pad, why is this symbolic? At first, you don't know what it is. Right. But, but then it's brought up between two characters who are in there. And, you know, it's uh, the House Hightower's signal for a call to arms. And it gets brought up like, hey, when the House Hightower needs to, like, call everybody like, hey, we need help. What do they do? They light a green fire from the top of this tower. Yeah. And she comes, you know, and it's a wedding. Like you're not supposed, you're not supposed to outshine the bride. You're not supposed to like look better than the bride. She comes in looking better than the bride in this bright green dress that everyone who's involved with House Hightower goes, "Oh, we know what this is." I immediately thought from that scene from Matt Reeves' The Batman, it's not a signal, it's a warning. <laughs> I immediately thought that I'm like, "Oh, we're I, gonna go here." Somebody, I didn't think of that, but that's good. Somebody cue the Nirvana, like, "Let's fucking go." Yeah, like I was just like, oh, here we go. If somebody can send me that video too of just doing the the something is the way with that line, thank you very much. I appreciate you. 
But now she makes her way into the family dinner, so to speak, because yeah. the houses are now coming together before we have the wedding. Yeah. And then Damon comes rolling into Sup. Yeah, just like, oh, we're having a party. Like he, he comes rolling in, he basically goes in there, sits at the head table, and where like the 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 bride and groom are supposed to be sitting, not literally, but like uh, figuratively. You know, he goes in there, he basically kicks his feet up, starts eating the food, and is like, "Yeah, what are you going to do?" Yeah, and he's going to accuse, obviously, of uh, killing Sir Gerald Royce's uh, mm-hmm. cousin. And Damon's like, "No, nah, I didn't." You know, just, you know, things happen. I'm I'm really upset. but I'm going to write a scroll if I, if I did it. Yeah, like, <laughs> Matt Smith just eats up scenery in every scene he's on. He's such a good actor, but he's so good at playing a smarmy prick. Oh, my God, yeah. Like, this is so not Doctor Who, and I'm loving every minute of it. And that's why I stand on my, on my soapbox. He is the MVP of the show. The minute they kill him off, I might be done with this. That is how freaking good he is in this role. But then, while all this is going on, you see that there is just some other business happening because Laner's lover, uh, Sir uh, Lamoth, mm-hmm. kind of tips off to Kristen like, yeah, you know, I know what you're doing. You know what I'm doing. Let's be friends. Yeah. And uh, But he doesn't exactly say it in like a um, business manner, shall we say. And we got to know, while all this is going on, you know the dance. It's you know the dance is going on. They haven't married yet, mm-hmm. uh, but Rhaenyra is talking with Damon on the dance floor in you know whatever language it is. You know, High Valerian. Yeah, and they're Targaryen, the Targaryen language or whatever it is. And she's basically, and she's basically like, call, she knows what he wants, and and she, he wants the throne. And she's basically like looking at him and going, "Hey, listen, I know what you want. There's one way to get it, and that's to marry me." So why don't you just take me? Take me for your own. You know, you you got You'd have to kill a bunch of my father's guards, but you got enough guys to do that. I know you can do that. And she's looking him in this in in the eyes with basically that like lover's look of like, "Take me now." And all the meanwhile, this is going on. Her father can see her from the high table. Yeah, and he's watching this going on. Like, uh, and, and it's like his worst fears are getting confirmed because they look like they're about ready to go at it on the floor in the middle of the public. Yeah, it's a weird scene. And maybe that's why I kind of blanked on it a little bit because you see her just talking. This well, it's easy to it's easy to blank on it because they're having this whole discussion, and then immediately you get into the whole thing with with Sir Kristen. Yeah, like they they don't spend a lot of time here. No, but you see enough that King Viserys is like, "What is going on here?" He's like, "Oh shit, it's true." Yeah, this, this is not going down on my watch. Uh uh-uh. uh But he's watching, and you see, just Damon is just like he doesn't know exactly what to say here. Like this is mm-hmm. one of the points he's just like, "Uh uh uh uh." You you can see in his head like something's spinning around, but he's or not, not... Or not spinning. Yeah, like, it's just kind of a weird thing. That, that was, if I have to critique Matt Smith's performance, like, he, it was very confusing what he was thinking yeah. at this point. Yeah, Because I'm sure he's just like, okay, this is just fucked up. And just, you know, but obviously it's Game of Thrones, it's reasons, you know, blah, blah, blah. So while this is going on, well, Kristen is just going absolutely bananas over the information mm-hmm. that Sir Joffrey... Uh, which, by the way, mm. worst name possible in the Game of Thrones universe. Yeah, that name is cursed. Has to say something, and basically Kristen loses his shit. I'll say it's just the proverbial guitar string breaks. Yep, and he just goes, "Okay, I'm I'm kicking your ass. <laughs> Fuck it." Yeah, he's like, "There's no turning back now. You know what I did. I'm gonna be I castrated from the kingdom. 
nope, I'm taking you out before you can say anything. And, of course, does it so subtly in the middle of the dance floor mm-hmm. in front of everybody. So it and looked, nobody does anything. It almost looks like a mosh pit is forming. Kind of. Like, in a weird yeah. sense, because you're seeing and, and like King Viserys, who's been bleeding the entire episode because he's, yeah. got, he's got Lord knows what. Yeah. And he's been leached to death. He's just sitting there bleeding out his nose like, oh, what's going on? What's well, going? well, he's sick with whatever. Like, we know his time is nearing an end. Yeah. So he's standing up there watching this. And then by the time everything is all done, when everybody's restrained, oh, Joffrey is dead on the floor. Uh, yeah. like, I, And it's gruesome because I think part of his face is ready to fall mm-hmm. off. It, ugh. That's one thing about the show that we don't really talk too much about. We thought Game of Thrones was violent. Yeah. Oh, they stepped it up a notch for the show. They did. I think they took a couple pages from Walking Dead. And they're like, "Oh, this is how we get away with some things." Yeah, we're on cable. We don't give a shit. Yeah, like you, you're gonna watch anyway. So congratulations. We're gonna completely smash somebody's skull in, and you're gonna say thank you. Yeah. Like how fucked up is that? But that's what they're doing in the show. That yeah, is. Because look at the ratings. Everybody's tuning in about this one. Hey, so Christian takes off. He's outside the castle. Yep. You see that uh, Sir Laner is absolutely heartbroken that his yeah. lover is brutally killed in front of him. You yeah. don't know what to do. Uh, meanwhile, King Viserys is like, yeah, show must go on. So, show uh, must go on. We, like, we need to tie this off. Yep, exactly. I'm paying by the hour, folks. Let's get going. Okay, DJ, hit the music. Send him everybody home. All right, let's do the wedding. Somebody hit the Bruno Mars. Yep. And then, so they're doing the most impromptu ceremony ever. There's like five people, mm-hmm. give or take. Yep. The vows are exchanged. Yep. Viserys drops because, well, let's face it, he's been bleeding the entire time. Yeah, he's sick with something. Yep, so he drops. Uh, we're assuming he's going to survive by next week's preview. Uh, not for long, I would imagine. Not for long. I think we're writing him off, too. And then it ends in kind of another weird scenario because Kristen is outside and he is ready to kill himself because, yeah. well, he knows if they catch him, guess what? He's going to die. They, anyway. Well, they know they're going to have some questions. And something tells me he's not going to exactly hold long under pressure and he's going to start squawking like a canary. Yep. Uh, but then before he can commit suicide, Allison shows up and basically stops him from committing suicide. Yeah, she's like, no, let's talk. And that's how it ends. So what do we take away from this episode, Pad? Uh, don't go to a wedding in the Game of Thrones universe. Exactly. I don't care who's DJing. You stay the hell home. You get that invitation, you rip that thing up, and you don't even look around. This was <laughs> Game of Thrones to the letter. I love the insanity of it. Um a little bit too gruesome at certain points, but you know what? You come to expect this with this show. We've seen over now four, five episodes. They're not pulling any punches. No, they're not. Shit's happening. You got to deal with it. You got to get ready to rock with it. It is what it is. Listen, no issues with it at all. Uh, just where they're going for next week. Obviously we talked about it. They're going to be doing the time jump. So we're going to see some new faces in the roles of princess Rhaenyra and queen Allison. Uh, Emily or Emma Darcy has taken over Rhaenyra. Olivia Cook is taking over Allison. So we wait to see what happens from here. But there's a lot to digest with this story. And there's a lot to have talk on social media about. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about We Light the Way? That's the name of the episode. Oh, something got lit at this at this wedding, and it definitely was not the way, folks. Uh, House of the Dragon, the Game of Thrones spinoff on HBO Max. Let's talk about it, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideman Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the oceans, or the plains Cruise I wanna go 
Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pat, what you got? Got a couple things to talk about. Uh, the first of which is probably a, a unique once in a who knows how long this is going to be uh, opportunity because uh, at Regal Cinemas this weekend, uh, although I would say check your local uh, listings, uh, whether your local theater is doing this or not, uh, for $5, uh, Regal Cinemas will be running all eight Harry Potter films. Oh, yeah. So like I said, check your local listings when this is supposed to run simply because I know like they had Jaws uh, in in theaters or like a reissue of Jaws. That was supposed to be a couple weekends ago. Ours didn't have it until like this past weekend. Mm -hmm. So check your local listings. Uh, But looking at the uh, Regal website for at least our theater here locally, uh, it appears that they're going to be running Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets on uh, Friday. Now, the thing with these, at least according to our theater, it could be different for your theater. These movies are playing at like one time. Okay. So, so like here locally, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone is playing at 3 p.m. Chamber of Secrets is playing at 6.30 p.m. So it's it's reasonable to assume, I think, that it's running in the same theater. Because mm-hmm. uh, Sorcerer's Stone's an hour and 52 minutes. Chamber of Secrets is an hour and 61. So it might be the same theater. Uh, Saturday, they are running uh, Sorcerer's Stone to Chamber of Secrets. So the first two movies, they're also running Prisoner of Azkaban and Goblet of Fire, which are the third and fourth movies. Uh, and then on Sunday, they are running. Let me just scroll down, make sure I'm not missing anything. Okay, no, they're not. Uh, they are showing Order of the Phoenix, which is the fifth movie, Half-Blood Prince, which is the sixth movie, and then Deathly Hollows Part 1 and Part 2, which are the seventh and eighth movies. Uh, so if you have not seen these movies in theaters because, hey, you were, you know, too young to see them in theaters or just you weren't a fan until after the movies came out, highly recommend you do it just because they're great movies on no, no matter what screen you watch them on, tablet, phone, television, laptop, you know, but big screen is where you really should experience these, especially with the sound and everything else. So definitely check your local listings because $5 is honestly a great deal to see any of these. That's huge. Any of these movies. That's huge. It's an awesome uh, thing. Yeah, definitely. Say you go into a theater and seeing these. Yeah. You can't really describe the vibe. There's really something about these films too, because how many other movies do you know that like, it's the last one in the franchise and the freaking title isn't even on the poster. Yeah. Go look up, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, go look up the poster for the last Harry Potter film. And now, you'll probably find some with the title on there, but the first one they put out was just with Harry and Voldemort looking at each other and just said, it all ends. And then the date of like 7.15 or whatever, the date came out. There was no title on it. You knew what it was. Mm-hmm. It was wild. Uh, speaking of birth dates and dates and all that, happy birthday to the Uncharted franchise, uh, which turned 15 years old uh, just a couple of days ago uh, on September 19th, uh, because the first game in the franchise, Uncharted, Drake's Fortune, uh, released on PlayStation 3. Gotta say thank you to the folks at Naughty Dog for putting out this franchise. One of my favorites of all time, spawning off the great movie, which I hope they do more with. They certainly set it up for a uh, movie now currently on Netflix. Uh, you know, so definitely it's a great game. Admittedly, some of the controls in the first one were a little annoying because mm-hmm. it came out on the PlayStation 3 at a time when, because the PlayStation 3 controller had the like motion controls because motion controls was everyone all the rage mm-hmm. uh, back in 2007. So one of the annoying things with this game that if you play any, uh, if you play it on PlayStation 3, you're going to run into this. But... If you buy the Nathan Drake collection for PlayStation 4 or PlayStation 5, they have taken this mechanic out. Thank God. Oh, nice. Thank God. Uh, one of the annoying things they did in the game was if you wanted to throw a grenade, you could press a button and it'd give you the little arc line of where it was going to go. But if you wanted to raise it or lower it, you had to tilt your control. 
If you were walking across a, a pillar or a tr fallen tree, you wanted to stay level with it, you had to keep the controller level. They've taken that out since. That was my only negative with the game when it came out. Mm. Otherwise, the story's fantastic. Gameplay's fantastic. Seriously, if, if you haven't played this game, you know, you should absolutely look into doing so. So happy birthday to the Uncharted franchise. Yes, indeed. That definitely sounds dope. Yeah. Uh, sticking with some video game news, it was announced today, uh, and I'm reading from an article on IGN.com, uh, that there's going to be a new Iron Man game. Really? Yeah. So reading from the article on IGN.com, it says, quote, EA Motive, the studio behind the upcoming Dead Space remake, has announced that it is developing an Iron Man game. In a new tweet from Motive's Twitter account, the Montreal-based EA studio revealed that it is collaborating with Marvel Games on an all-new single-player action-adventure Iron Man game. The project is said to, to be in early development. Uh, they tweeted, the news is out, uh, the little celebration cone emoji. Uh, we couldn't be more thrilled to collaborate with Marvel Games on an all-new single-player action-adventure Iron Man game. While we're still in early development, this is an exciting new adventure for our studio. Uh, close quote. Uh, so this is kind of a, looking going to be in the same vein as maybe Spider-Man or Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, has not been an Iron Man game, I want to say, since maybe the first Iron Man movie. Yeah, I, I want to say it's got to be something like I, that. I know there was a game for the Iron Man movie, for which I played on PlayStation 2. It wasn't good, but I enjoyed it. There was a little bit of fun to it. Um, but in terms of like a, now obviously Iron Man's been in, you know, the Lego Marvel games, you know, and then, uh, some of the other Marvel games have been come out, but in terms of a solo Iron Man game has not been one since the movie tie-in, which movie tie-ins are games are never that good. Right. Uh, the lone exception being Ratchet and Clank. Uh, <laughs> I knew you were going there. Yep. Uh, but we'll see what this is. You know, EA Motive, I looked up some of what they've done. They haven't been around a long time. Uh, they did work on the 2017 Star Wars Battlefront 2, which that's the one that got in some shit where it was like really expensive in the in-game currency to to get so unlock some of the characters. And, the, and they came out with the response of, oh, well, you're doing it for the experience. And there was that whole backlash. Uh, did bounce back nicely, however, though, because they came out in with the 2020 game Star Wars Squadrons, uh, which is a single player, although there is multiplayer with it, but there's a single player story. It's kind of like a fight, uh, flight sim, you know, mm -hmm. fight, fl uh, fighter sim, where like you fly around as both X-Wings and TIE Fighters in the Rebel Alliance and the Empire, you know, set during the, the uh, prequel, or not the prequel, the original trilogy. So that, that one's a fun game. Uh, and as we mentioned, they are currently working on the new Dead Space game. So we'll see what they do with this. You know, no release date yet, but it should be good. Very exciting news to hear. Yeah, uh, yeah like, God, when was the last time we saw Iron Man? Like, yeah, well, in, in a game, uh, he was in the Marvel Avengers game. Right. You that know, was going to say. He was in the Marvel Avengers game. I mean, he's been in some of the other stuff, but in terms of like his own solo thing, I really think it's been, it hasn't been since, you know, the movie tie-in game. Yeah, which, I, which I, I gotta admit, I played on PS2. It was fun at the time, but now it's it's dated. It's it's garbage. It's dated. Yeah, I yeah. mean that's that's one problem with it. But the fact that they want to try doing this, and especially with the success they've had with Guardians and they've had with Spider Man, like it's a perfect time to bring them back. I mean, I know Iron Man. Is it fair for me to say Iron Man's cooled off a bit? Yeah, I think a little to bit. a degree. To I mean, degree. he's still an important character. So like, I, I'm not saying he's completely fell off, but I think like for where he ranked in pop culture, obviously. Sure. 
he's starting to cool down as connecting with a major audience, but I think this is a great way to bring it back a little bit for the video game. So yeah. give it to me. Uh, and then also continuing with the uh, video game news, it was shockingly announced, and I got to say shockingly because I had thought they were done with DLC for this game. We're going to get more DLC for the Dragon Ball Z Kakarot game. Really? Yeah, so this game, if you have not played it, is absolutely fantastic. One of the best Dragon Ball games, I would say, of all time. Listen, I, I realize people like the fighting games. I'm not really into the fighting games, so eh, to each their own. But this game is phenomenal. If you have not played it, highly recommend you do. Uh, but we do not have a release date, but we, they did release a trailer for the upcoming DLC titled Bardock Alone Against Fate. Uh, and reading from the little description they have on the YouTube video for Bandai Namco Entertainment America, it says, Sometimes the past comes back to haunt us. Be part of the family with the new Bardock Alone Against Fate DLC coming to Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. So if you watch the trailer, it does look like the story, it takes place, you know, early in the Dragon Ball franchise, you know, before Dragon Ball, before Dragon Ball Z, you know, before Dragon Ball Super. I know I'm going in reverse order, but sure, hey, just, go roll with it. just to kind of like set the picture. Uh, it does feature Goku as a baby and it's him on uh, planet Vegeta before it's blown up. Spoiler alert. Mm. Although that's 30 years ago at this point that came out. So it's not really a spoiler. You know, and it's talking about how Goku's such a low-powered uh, Saiyan, and he's probably not going to be worth anything, but he's got a loud voice. And they wonder where Bardock is, and then, you know, oh, he's on submission, and then it shows him on submission. So it looks like this DLC is going to be focused on the Bardock story, you know, that was alluded to uh, in the Dragon Ball Z storyline. Obviously, there was the movie about it that came out, uh, and... <laughs> I'm not going to spoil how it ends, but if you know the Dragon Ball Z story, you know how this story ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just all I'm going to say there. Also, surprisingly, uh, they then revealed that it's not going to be the only DLC they're going to do uh, because they showed the title card and then it was, you know, the title card again, but with two empty slots next to it. Really? And then it said Season Pass 2 coming soon. Uh, so it looks like we're going to get this DLC plus two more. If I had to put on my little guessing hat early, early guess at what we're going to do, in terms of DLC, where we're at, they basically did the Battle of the Gods and then, uh, what was it, the uh, Resurrection F movies. So the first two movies they did with the in recent times. So where you could turn Goku into Red, uh, Red Saiyan Goku, you know, and then Super Saiyan Blue. So that is the most up-to-date thing we've got, which obviously the Dragon Ball Super storyline, you know he can turn into a third form Ultra uh, ultra Instinct. Mm-hmm. I think at least one of those DLCs is going to be the Tournament of Power, you know, so where he gets the Ultra Instinct form and go through that whole process. And then if I had to guess, I think the other DLC might be something, might be from the, more, uh, the most recent uh, movie. Uh, super superhero. I think it might be something tied into that. If it's not that, it might be something else with the anime, you know, from Dragon Ball Super. I but, can see that. But I think it's going to be something to do with the uh, the movie that just came out. It could it could be interesting. Well, the fact they're tying that back in, I mean, that would make perfect sense for timing. Yeah, but yeah very surprising to hear that's coming back. Yeah, and then they also announced uh, that there is going to be a version coming out for PlayStation 5 and then Xbox Series X slash S. No date was given. Hmm. Uh, switching over to some movie news, uh, it was announced by the folks over at The Hollywood Reporter that David Harbour is going to star in a Gran Turismo movie for Sony and PlayStation. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm intrigued. Reading from the article on thehollywoodreporter.com, it says, quote, David Harbour is revving his engines. The Stranger Things star has signed on to the, uh, to star in Gran Turismo, the Sony Pictures and PlayStation Productions feature adaptation of the best-selling racing video game. Neil Blomkamp, best known for his sci-fi movies such as District 9 and Elysium, is hitting where the rubber meets on the road with this one, directing the project that has a script by Jason Hall, uh, who worked on American Sniper, and Zach Balin, who worked on King Richard. 
Based on a true story, the project is described as the ultimate wish-fulfillment tale of a teenage Gran Turismo player whose gaming skills won him a series of Nissan competitions to become an actual professional race car driver. Harbor will play a retired driver who teaches the team to drive. Uh, so, listen, I've played some of the Gran Turismo games. They're, they're good games. The fact that they're doing this makes all the sense in the world. It's it's kind of like, you know, Xbox has the Forza series. PlayStation has Gran Turismo. Mm-hmm. I figured it was only once they formed the PlayStation Productions movie studio, I figured it was only a matter of time before they did this. Right. Uh, and they're also adding some heavy hitters uh, to this uh, film because it was announced maybe about a day or so later. Orlando Bloom is also going to be joining the movie. Jesus, they're loading that thing up. Yeah, they are. Uh, no release date on when this movie is coming out, but you know I'll be certainly there to see it when it opens. Oh, I know you'll be there opening night. I, uh-huh. I probably will too. I mean, that's a loaded cast for that yeah. project. Jeez. Uh, also, some more movie news. Got a, a trailer last week for an upcoming comedy horror movie, I guess you could say, on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Because, hey, listen, if you're like me and you're not that big into horror movies, I can certainly do a comedy horror movie. Uh, and coming out uh, on Netflix on, let's see if I can find it. Uh, there it is. October 14th uh, is going to be a film called The Curse of Bridge Hollow, uh, starring Marlon Wayans, who plays a father. Uh, and reading from the description on the uh, trailer on uh, YouTube.com, says a father, Marlon Wayans, and his teenage daughter, uh, Pariah Ferguson, are forced to team up and save their town after an accident and mischievous, after an ancient and mischievous spirit causes Halloween decorations to come to life and wreak havoc. Also starring Kelly Rowland, Rob Riggle, and John Michael Higgins, and Lauren Lapkus. Uh, this movie looks funny. It looks like it's got a little bit of like jump scare, like, oh my goodness. But it's not going to be necessarily like you're clutching your pillow and hiding behind it like I would do. Right. Because I'm not that big into horror movies, but comedy horror, I'm all for it. Yeah, it's definitely got its own little fun quirks to it. So it definitely caught my eye, too, as well. Yeah. Uh, switching over to some television news or streaming news, I guess you could say. Uh, while we wait, or at least I wait, for Volume 9 of Ruby, uh, which is the Rooster Teeth production, uh, which Volume 9 is supposed to be coming sometime early next year. Uh, we will be getting uh, Volume 1, Season 1, I guess you could say, of the anime adaptation of it, uh, which they did. Uh, I think the whole thing is out now for the Japanese dub of it because it was done by a Japanese animation studio. Uh, you know, out on Crunchyroll, and also I think it might be out on the Rooster Teeth site. Could be wrong. I know it's out, I know it's on Crunchyroll though. Mm. Uh, but starting this Sunday, uh, the English dub version is going to premiere on both the Rooster Teeth site and Crunchyroll. Uh, the notable thing with this from the trailer, if you go to the Rooster Teeth animation uh, YouTube page, uh, the voices they feature are all of the voices for, or the voice actors and actresses from the original series that was on Rooster Teeth and premiered on Rooster Teeth. So that's a really awesome thing they did because they, they could have easily just gone and got other voices. But the fact that they took the actresses and the actor, you know, uh, from the original series to voice the characters that everyone's come to know and love for almost 10 years now. You know, the fact that... It, it's on Volume 9, but it's been out since 2013. Wow, like, that long? Yeah, Volume 1 premiered on in like June or July of 2013. Jesus. So it's been going for nine years, almost ten years. The fact that they brought back the people you know and love from the original series is awesome. And I'm just going to say this. You don't need to have watched Ruby, you know, the first eight volumes to understand this. This is set at the beginning of the story. They've already taken some deviations from, you know, the original series because one of the characters in the original series that you see in the trailer has a scar in the new series, does not have a scar in the uh, original series. So they're taking some liberties with it. But there's a moment in like volume, I want to say it's maybe three or four where somebody dies. I want to say who? I'm, if that happens again, I'm not ready to get my heart ripped out by that because <laughs> that was one of the first times that like I watched a moment and like dropped my phone and went, oh my God, no. 
Yeah, oh, really? It, it was wild to see, but super excited for that to come out uh, this Sunday. I'll I'll certainly be watching that. Definitely looks very very cool. Like yeah. I, like I say, just I'm still processing 2013. Yeah, yeah 2013 Jesus. volume one first came out. Yeah. Uh, switching over to some streaming news or some Twitch streaming news because, yo, boy, this one is wild. This is wild. So reading from an official uh, Twitter post from the folks over at Twitch at tw- uh, twitter.com slash Twitch. Uh, it says, quote, gambling content on Twitch has been a big topic of discussion in the community and something we've been actively reviewing since our last policy update in this area. Today, we want to update you on our plans. While we prohibit sharing links or referral codes to all sites that include slots, roulette, or dice games, we've seen some people circumvent those rules and expose our community to potential harm. So we'll be making a policy update on October 18th to prohibit streaming of gambling sites that include slots, roulette, or dice games that aren't licensed in either the U.S. or other jurisdictions that provide sufficient consumer protection. These sites include stake.com, rollbit.com, dualbits.com, and rubet.com. However, we may identify others as we move forward. We will continue to allow websites that focus on sports betting, fantasy sports, and poker. We'll share our we'll share specifics on the updates to our gambling policy soon, including the full policy language to make sure everyone is clear on our new rules before they take effect on October 18th, close quote. Hmm. So, I know gambling on Twitch and, and that kind of thing has kind of risen to popularity the last couple of months, couple of years, I think primarily because the uh, rapper Drake has gotten very into it. And I know he streams some of it, but I mean, the, I, I understand why they're doing this. Twitch is not a Twitch is a site. You don't need an account to watch, right? You, the listener, if you don't have a Twitch account can go to Twitch, find somebody on there and go watch the stream. You don't need, you know, it's not behind a paywall. It's not behind a login wall. You can just go and watch. If you don't have an account, you can't comment and you can't follow and all this other stuff, but you can still watch. So any kid, no matter what age, and let's face it, kids these days are pretty goddamn smart, mm-hmm. can go to these sites. Scary smart. Scary smart. I've seen kids operate a phone with lightning precision. It's a little frightening. You know, but these kids can go to these sites, you know, and find the sites and and find the streams and let it happen. Is it happening? I'm sure in some instances kids have found this. Whether whether anything has happened, I don't know. But Twitch has got to take a stance on this and really curtail this because if they don't, it opens them up to uh, issues and liabilities down the road that, hey, look, they're just trying to cover their ass. You know, so I understand some people might be upset about it, but hey, they're just covering their ass and, and I understand it. Yeah, I got to go with them on this one, but man, this is freaking wild. I, I would not have thought prior to this that it was such a big problem, but lo and behold, here mm-hmm. we are. I'll say It's like my dad always said, if there's a rule or a sign for it, there's usually a reason about it. Facts. Uh, and then lastly, and certainly not least, we got to talk this week's episode of Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power, uh, where the episode was entitled The Great Wave. And I got to say... Thought this was certainly the best episode they've done. Yeah, probably the strongest. Okay. Uh, you know, and it feels like things are finally set up for where they're going to go, you know, especially with Galadriel's story. You get a Elrond and Durin, Christ Almighty, they swerved me hard on their, their plot line. I don't want to go into spoilers because I really fit. I know some people are still catching up on it. Excuse me. Uh, but... It, it was arguably, I would say, the strongest episode they've had yet. And, and they're really setting up some stuff. And boy, oh boy, the Elrond Durin thing, they stepped up to, I would say, the cliff edge, you could say, or stepped up to the line where, where I thought they were going to go. And I'm sitting there going, oh, shit, oh, shit, oh, shit. And then they stepped back. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. You know, but no, they're setting up a lot. I think this is finally like, all right, all the pe- it's kind of like with uh, uh, House of the Dragon. 
all the pieces are in place. They're finally at a point and things are really going to start kicking into gear. So if you're not on board, you should absolutely be jumping on board and catching up now because it's going to get bonkers. Yeah, I definitely want to get caught up on this. I've been a little too busy with some other things, but all I'm hearing about this latest episode is like, this is finally like, if you're going to get into the show, like this is the moment. Yep. So definitely want to go check that out. Okay, Pat, I'm going to say right now, I probably say this a lot, but I seriously, seriously mean this. This is one of the most stacked week at the comic shops in recent memory. Like, first and foremost, Parlay Points has got some amazing reviews this week. And we we are very fortunate from the companies we do. This was, like, some of the best runs, though, I've seen. We kick off with Valiant Entertainment... Bringing back Bloodshot with Bloodshot Unleashed, number one. Dennis Camp, who you might remember we reviewed uh, for 20th Century Men, which ironically, issue number two comes out on Image Comics, so definitely go check that one out. Absolutely creative story, fantastic issue. It's not for the tame of heart. Neither is this issue, Pat. Okay. Okay, so Bloodshot by Valiant. John Davis Hunt, who you know was doing the artwork yeah. on Shadow Man, yeah. is back here. This is a mature reader's book. I want to stress this. Sure. Because I'm going to show Pad the first opening page. What the fuck? Okay, yeah, no, don't don't let your kids see this. Right, that's the tempo of the book. Jesus, it's it's awesome. I love it, but like I say, this is not meant for kids. This is meant in your face, action, bloodshot. They pull no punches the entire issue. So be forewarned if you're sensitive about that kind of stuff. If you're not, and you like Punisher Max, because that's probably mm-hmm. the easiest way I could describe it. Sure, this is up your alley. I think Dennis Camp writes a fantastic story where they're going with this book. John Davis Hunt, man, the artwork in this, there's a lot of action sequences that are going on. He balances this so well. Everything has that real big feel to it. Mm -hmm. Like nothing feels like a throwaway panel. He really brings this whole battle to life. And this overall story is going to absolutely blow people away. Like, I think it's a fantastic book. I think if you're a little skeptical because whatever reason mm-hmm. give this a shot if you're looking for an action book this is right up your alley they do fantastic stuff here i can't stress it enough i really 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 enjoy this book and i can't wait to start deep diving into the series as it's rolling because obviously that's issue number one on comiXology originals beecher crow's vigilante number three came out this is a series i've been checking out stephanie phillips is writing valeria fakova is doing the artwork fantastic stuff again about mark dawson's wildly popular assassin the story is really starting to sink its teeth and going in a lot of different directions. I love the energy of this book. I really think that they're bringing out a lot of very cool looks that are keeping me, the reader, at bay, which I like because I always hate just sitting there going like, oh, I've seen this before. Don't you, Pat? Yeah, I do. So that's why I say with this book, I think they're really doing some cool things, so I can't recommend it enough. That's on Comixology Originals. So if you're not signed up for the limited deal, like go get it. I don't know what else I can tell you. Now, there are two books that will be on Parlay Points, depending on when you hear this podcast, I can't talk about right now due to embargoes, one of which is Boom Studios, Berserker number 10. If you've been reading Parlay Points for a long time on odphpodcast.com, you know why. I really enjoy this book. Keanu Reeves, Ron Garney, yeah. Matt Kent. Yep. The story is getting near its end. It's violent. It's amazing. It's over the top. There's a lot of things going on. Definitely want to check this book out, but you're not going to hear any spoilers from me. And then we have finally joining the Parlay Points lineup. I was super excited when we got this email. Radiant Black number 18. Uh Uh-oh. Kyle Higgins, Lawrence Holmes, who's guest writing with him as well. Stefano Simone is on the artwork. 
and it's the origin of Radiant Yellow. So the only spoiler you're going to get is what is on imagecomics.com press release for this book. It's 1979. Wendell George graduates from Purdue with a degree in engineering and plans for the future. It's 2020. Wendell George discovers a cosmic artifact in a donut shop. It's 2023. Everything has fallen apart. Mm. That is from imagecomics.com. I'm going to say this. Definitely make a point to go get this book on New Comic Book Day. I can't stress enough. On Wednesday, 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, the blogs will be dropping for everything. So you definitely want to go check that on odphpodcast.com. And like I say, Pad, this is a stacked week. Image Comics also has Vanish, number one. Donnie Cates, Ryan Stegman are back at it. And this is a book you don't want to miss. Obviously, you know those two from their run on Venom. Fantastic stuff is going on here. Mm-hmm. DC Comics, not to be outdone. I'm showing Pad the cover to Nightwing 96. Oh, that's awesome. The Brady Bunch-esque yeah, cover looks that's awesome. dope as all hell. I mean, Nightwing might be the best book in all the comics right now. Right now, yeah. It's had a good run. It's had a great run, so if you're not on board, you definitely need to go get it. But they did not stop there. Batman, Superman, World's Finest, number seven. That mm. book, holy, it's a must-read every issue. Must-read. Fantastic stuff going on there. Uh, on the Marvel side, it's definitely got its, its quality books. If you're definitely into the whole uh, Avengers crossover, Judgment Day number five comes out. So obviously there's a lot of stuff happening there. There's a new X book coming out, Exterminators, which has Jubilee on the cover. So you know obviously our guy Stu from SWO Productions really is excited about that. I tell you, this has been one of the most loaded weeks at the comic shop. Like that's just a, a fraction of everything going on. So, my recommendation, as I always close out the Entertainment Edition with, support your LCS whenever you get the chance. Definitely swing on over to Comixology Unlimited. If the books aren't coming out to print, you definitely want to go check them out. And support your favorite independent comic podcast as we're all doing some big work to promote the industry we love. And that's why you hear about books like Alan Dunford's Chains, or Grandma Chainsaw that is coming out on Kickstarter. And like I said, it's live. You definitely want to get that in your collection. Trust me when I say that. Pad, I will keep it very short and sweet this week. If I'm talking music, like shout out the robots. Mm-hmm. If I'm talking the classified section, which has friends of the show, organizational link support and Black Lives Matter, voter registration. If I'm talking the directory, which how many providers are we on? 920,000. If I'm talking all our amazing patrons, which you can find out all about them because they're fantastic people. Parlay points, the T Public Store, the Patreon link itself. Where am I going? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. So make sure to swing on over there. Check out everything and anything that is the ODPH because we're here for you. That being said, that's all I got for this week. So for the one only Padawan J. Thank you. Thank you. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you as always for listening to the ODPH podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. See you next time.